Just a quick heads up, this show contains sensitive and graphic material that might not be for everyone. If you don't enjoy in-depth true crime, humor about true crime, and drinking, please don't continue. We want to be respectful of the victims in these crimes, but as for the criminal, we just don't give a shit. Welcome to Crimes and Cocktails, a podcast where we explore true crime while drinking a customized cocktail created by us, your bartenders. Hi, I'm Katie. And I'm Tabitha. Today we're discussing the disappearance and murders of Lacey Peterson and her unborn son, Connor. Lacey's husband, Scott, was convicted of the murders and just recently was in the news again because his death sentence was overturned on August 24th of this year. We were actually texting about this when it happened. Yeah, I remember that. I remember reading the news and it was like, Scott Peterson's case is overturned. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) I'm just going to say whether the guy is guilty or not, which I think he is, the guy is a real douche. Seriously, though, um, I remember watching this case on the news when it was actually happening. My mom was obsessed with it. Uh, Lacey went missing in 2002, so I was about 11 or 12. Uh, it was just, it was everywhere. And even as a kid, I remember seeing Scott and thinking that something was wrong. Like, he wasn't acting like somebody, you know, who was grieving a wife and, and kid. Yeah. Yeah, actually, my roommate's from Turlock, which is right outside Modesto, and she says she remembers seeing, like, all the giant billboards as a kid. I remember seeing it all over the news and, like, magazines at the grocery store, <laughs> and I think it was close to the time that actually this girl went missing in my hometown, like, in a hiking trail, and so I just remember thinking, like, no one's safe. <laughs> like, like you can't go anywhere. Yeah, I don't know. It was just kind of, like, one of those things where I just remember seeing that. Of course, all our childhood, we had what? It was, like... John Bonet, yeah, Ramsey, yeah. and then just this. So it was just, I don't know, tabloids, tabloids. Anyways, our drink for tonight, we're going to call it Scott Scandal Spritz because of Scott fucking Peterson. Scott fucking Peterson. Yep, it's a name that most of you guys probably know because, like we said, it didn't happen that long ago. Um, if you want the recipe, it's going to be on our Instagram, which is at Crimes and Cocktails. Anyways, let's get this started. So Scott Scandal Spritz... Did I say that right? I did. <laughs> okay, we put three ounces of Prosecco, but uh, you can use champagne. And two ounces of Aperol. We put in a few muddled strawberries and a splash of soda and muddled it all together. Put the soda water on top. And it's pretty good. I actually think I added about five ounces of champagne, but that's just because <laughs> I prefer... I don't know, like, when I, I've, I've seen, like, that meme about the mimosas, and he's, like, he yes. fills the cup up with, like, champagne, and he literally puts a syringe drop of orange, <laughs> juice. orange juice. You gotta do what feels right. That's what feels right <laughs> for me. It feels right. I personally, Aperol's pretty, a pretty bitter uh, alcohol, so yeah, um, I like the bitterness, but if you don't, add some more Prosecco, add some more strawberries. We don't care. Just get a drink. Just make sure it has <laughs> strawberries and champagne, and we'll explain that later. Yes. <laughs> All right. Two important ingredients. Should we get started? Yes. All right. All right. So we're going to start a little bit with Scott and Lacey's background. 
Uh, Lacey Denise Rocha was born May 4th, 1975. May the 4th be with you. <laughs> yes. To parents uh, Sharon and Dennis. She grew up on a dairy farm in Escalon and had an older brother named Brent and a half-sister named Amy. Just want to say, Escalon is in California, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah. so Escalon, California. I should know that, but I've actually never heard of Escalon until <laughs> it's this case. It's a super small town, and I'm pretty sure where the dairy was was actually, like, outside of Escalon, like... I have a feeling that it's that area. <laughs> Gosh, I'm going to look this up, but I wonder if it's, like, by that area that we'd always pass by on the 5 that just smells like straight cow shit. Probably. <laughs> so she grew up in Cowshit, California. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. All right, so anyway, after her parents divorced, Lacey moved to Modesto, California um, with her mother and brother, but uh, still went back to the farm on weekends to help out and visit her father. Sharon Rocha remarried to Ron Gransky, and Dennis remarried as well. Don't have his wife's name. Couldn't find anywhere. Props to you, lady, for staying hidden in this huge court case. Anyway, Lacey went to Thomas Downey High School, and which is in Modesto. She was a cheerleader. After graduation, she went to California Polytechnic State University in San Luis Obispo, Cal, Cal Poly for short. Um, and she majored in ornamental horticulture, which is, you know, fancy landscaping. Which I think is like the only major at Cal Poly. So I, me and Katie are both from the Central Coast area. And it is ag town city over here like we have all the farmers and stuff like that and everyone i know from here that is in ag in some aspect of it goes to cal poly yep that's like all there is it's horses agriculture farming landscaping that's it if you went there and majored in something else please tell us what are you doing yeah, what are you doing <laughs> and was it a good program because i don't I don't see it. <laughs> All right. Now, Scott Lee Peterson was born October 24th, 1972. I immediately was like, of course, he's a Scorpio. Which, you know what? <laughs> I just saw this meme the other day that kind of reminded me of this, where it's like, the meme is like, I hate when people use their Zodiac to justify shitty behavior. Like, sorry, can't help it. I'm a Scorpio. No, Karen, you're just a bitch. <laughs> yeah, Scott, I don't think Scott killed Lacey and the other son because he was a Scorpio. He was just a major dick. So. <laughs> but it probably didn't help that he was a Scorpio. <laughs> Sorry, all you Scorpios. Yeah. All right. So he was born in San Diego, California to parents uh, Lee and Jackie, um, or Jacqueline. Lee owned a packing and shipping company, um, and Jackie owned a dress shop in La Jolla. Um, <laughs> And whenever I read that Lee owned a packing and shipping company, I just think of Seinfeld. <laughs> Exports, imports. Export, import. Yeah. An export, import. I'm a packer and a shipper, a shipper and a packer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so, anyways, uh, Scott's grandfather on his mom's side, so Jackie's dad, like we said, was murdered. Um, this is kind of like one of those things where actually there's a psychologist that says they think this is the beginning of Scott's psychopathic behavior is that Scott's grandfather was bludgeoned to death with a rusty pipe in 1945 um, by a employee who got recently let go from the company and Scott's mother was placed into an orphanage because her mom didn't feel capable of taking care of her and she ended up losing like two of her brothers in this orphanage like just getting not like they died just getting separated from them and then we later kind of found out that this orphanage I think was not one of the good orphanages that Annie went to which I don't even think was a good orphanage actually (laughs) but it was just there was probably a lot of um unfortunately like child uh 
what is the word I'm looking for? Abuse. Abuse. Yeah. yeah. Like sexual abuse and stuff going on there. Um, but when she got out of the orphanage, she ended up taking care of her mom until her mom passed. And she later gave birth to two children from two different guys, like later on, not the same time, uh, but two children, Anne and Don, who when the men like left her, she ended up being like, I can't care for this child. So she ended up giving them up for adoption, which I find kind of weird that she did after being in an orphanage herself, but... Yeah, it's kind know. of the same thing her mom did to her. Yeah, exactly. But then Jackie met Lee, who is Scott's father, and they had Scott. So knowing that his mother had previously given up children um, put some pressure in Scott's mind that he needed to be perfect. Between his two parents, he had six siblings, although he was only raised with two of them. They lived in a, su- a suburb called Scripps Ranch, um, at, which is in San Diego, and then Poway. He attended University of San Diego High School, which was a private Catholic high school. Uh, later, police searched into his background and found that Scott had never been violent before. His half-sister, Anne, who was one of the siblings that got put up for adoption, said that Lee and Jackie raised their kids to not display negative emotions and that Scott was their quote-unquote golden child. She also said that Lee and Jackie never believed anything bad about any of their children. Yeah. I want to read this excerpt from the book called Inside the Mind of Scott Peterson. It's by a psychologist, Keith Ablo. Um, I just want to read this little piece here because he kind of went into like, because one of the things about this case that's so interesting is, like we said, Scott didn't have any violent behavior in his past. So a lot of people that we see that kill someone, they've done something violent in their past, whether it's like a burst of anger or killing an animal or something. But this guy just, that's why it's like, did he do it? But um, this psychologist, he interviewed several 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 family members and friends and did he actually hired like fbi and like special um private investigators to look into scott's life so he could put together this analysis of like what's going on psychologically so i'm gonna read this little insert here let's see so that meant scott was threatened by the prospect of becoming a father abla says there is a psychology, uh, psychological threat to him even being a person, so he becomes a person imitating a person. He needs to be perfect in the family, so perfect that he actually strangles the reality of himself. And so when he meets Lacey, by the time he has met her, he's already well on his way to becoming a mask of sanity. He's perfect. There's nothing wrong. She can find nothing wrong with him because he's already exercised all the loose ends. But inside, he's still very, very angry for having been destroyed as a child. So angry, Avlo says, that Scott has become a sociopath, incapable of feeling his own pain and also the pain of others. He lacks the connection that we might have if you told me a story that was moving. Just, I think we see that. That's like actually kind of, we'll discuss the trial later, but he he showed no emotion at all. Um... So Scott was an avid golfer and claimed to have gotten into Arizona State University on a partial scholarship, and he said he was later kicked off the golf team because he brought another player out drinking, which doesn't make sense to me because we all know in college you all go and drink, so I don't understand. Unless he was responsibility (laughs) on there. Um, And then he says he's later, because he got kicked off the golf team, he transferred to Cuesta College in San Luis Obispo. Here's the thing. The golf coach at ASU 
says that Scott was never on the golf team, and he didn't get a scholarship, and the school records confirm this, so he's obviously lying, and I even read that he actually was so far deep into this lie, telling people, like, yeah, I'm going to ASU, and I have a, a golf scholarship, and yada, 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 that he actually, like, went online and printed fake diplomas. God. He printed, like, two <laughs> degrees from the University of San Diego, and he printed one from Arizona State, which I'm just like, if I would have known that. <laughs> right? I would have so much college debt. <laughs> I would not be in so much debt right now. Oh, my gosh. It kind of reminds me of, like, this one song where it's like, maybe I'll take calligraphy and just write myself a degree. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I get that. Um, so he did He did go to Cal Poly, though, and he was considered an A-plus model student, and he majored in, guess what, agriculture, duh, because that's all there is, but it was agricultural business, and by this time, his parents moved from San Diego up to Morro Bay, which is actually right next to Cal Poly, and Cal Poly is, like, central California, so it's super pretty, um really pretty area San Luis Obispo it's a lot of mountains a lot of greenery and it's close to the it's a coastal town so mm-hmm. it's actually a really small town um like I think there's like actually yeah this is true there are no drive throughs in San Luis Obispo no I think that's a, yeah. a city ordinance you have to say. you have to walk in and get your Taco Bell can't yeah. go through a drive through <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Sorry, you have to put pants on. <laughs> yeah, damn it. <laughs> All right, so Lacey and Scott met at the Pacific Cafe in Morro Bay. Scott was working there, and she gave him um, her number. Later, Lacey found out that Scott had... Not her MySpace? <laughs> not her MySpace. That wasn't as popular yet. <laughs> uh, there was no Tinder. <laughs> so uh, later, Lacey found out that Scott had initially asked her um, out just to make his ex-girlfriend jealous. And when Lacey found out, she was extremely hurt which you know i would be too duh (laughs) so despite this Lacey told her parents that she had found the person she wanted to marry and scott introduced her to his siblings as the future mrs peterson they were inseparable and moved together um in together in 1997 after Lacey graduated um and they also got married so while Scott finished his senior year at Cal Poly, Lacey took a job in Prunedale, which uh, I actually um, grew up in, and both of us went to high school in Prunedale. So we were Kentucky, Prunedale. That was actually two hours away. From so Cal not Poly. so inseparable as we thought. Yes. <laughs> so you know they were married. He was still in school, and now she was two hours away, working for one distributor. <laughs> so weird. I know. I, I couldn't do it. Um, anyway, so she was working for a wine distributor uh, for Monterey County. Lee Peterson at this time, Scott's, Scott's father, dead. Yeah, wanted to retire, and his plan was for Scott to take over his packing and shipping business. But instead, Scott turned around and sold the company, and then kept the money. So Scott lived with roommates at this time, which, again, I just feel like this is such a weird situation. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I've known couples where they're married and there's like, well, so-and-so got a job offer, so they're moving up there. And as soon as I finish here, I'll move up to catch up with them. Actually, one of our friends was in like the police academy or something of that. And he lived in a house full of guys during the week. And then on weekends came home to his wife. So I kind of get it, but I still feel like it's kind of weird. Um, but yeah, Scott had a bunch of roommates, like three guy roommates, and basically lived like a bachelor, despite the fact that he was freaking married. He was, I mean, he was 26 years old, so I don't really know what to expect. But anyways, around this time while he was at Cal Poly, and 
Um, Lacey was living in Prunedale, like we said, which is about two to two and a half hours away. Um, he met a 20-year-old Janet, is it Else? Ilsa. Ilsa. Not Elsa, but Ilsa. Um, he made sure his wedding ring was off and made no mention that he had a wife who, like I said, lived two hours away. And they started talking. I think they had a class together or something like that. And he asked her out. And he showed up on Janice's doorstep on their first date night with 12 bouquets of a dozen roses each for their first date. That's insane. It's a little bit overboard. That's so much money. And like... <laughs> That's your first thought. <laughs> Us poor people. That is so much money. I can't even imagine that. And like... What are you going to do with all those flowers? Like, I don't know. I don't know. room in my house for 12 bouquets of a dozen roses. I, I would be pretty like, wow, this seems excessive. <laughs> I think I'd be a little like annoyed. a creepy stalker or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's but she thought it was extremely romantic and so suave and wow. So, and I guess they, you know, he took her out on like a really nice dinner. And I was reading some interview and it was saying that he, uh, at the end of the day, lit up like a cigar. Like, who the <laughs> fuck this guy think he's like Frank Sinatra? Come on, and he's like lit up a cigar and was like talking about his plans with money and blah blah blah. So I don't know. He apparently thought he was way cooler than he was, and she was swooned. They continued to date, and I guess Scott always planned out all their dates, and he always took her out to like really expensive restaurants. He sent her a lot of expensive gifts, like a delicate necklace with green gemstones and like a designer black dress. And then he found out that Janet was vegetarian. So then he's like, oh, I stopped eating meat too. And she's like, oh my gosh, I found the perfect man. However, there were times where I guess Janet and her roommate were like, he seems to be moving a little bit too fast because I actually don't know how long... Do you know how long they dated for exactly? I don't think it, it wasn't long. It wasn't though. very long. Yeah. I think it was only a couple months. And he was like, let's go to Mexico for a trip. Which, I don't know, some some guys, some people were like, yeah, we just met. Let's do that. And some people are like, whoa, we're taking it easy. But I don't know. I guess I also read that he would like show up to their apartment and like bring groceries randomly and be like, oh, don't worry about it. I love to contribute to struggling college students. <laughs> <laughs> like um excuse me but did you get the wheat bread <laughs> those those are jokes <laughs> as a roommate it'd be like how rude but also did you bring enough for me i don't drink two percent i drink soy <laughs> anyways i guess she came to his house one time and Lacey must have been you know over for the weekend and she just kind of showed up unannounced and found him in bed with Lacey so also I kind of feel like the bros in the house messed up on that one like they're probably like oh yeah he's in his room oh shit wait Lacey's back in town like he literally wanted wanted him to get caught or no one was home which is still kind of weird that she would just let herself in but I don't really know did she have a key or was like the door just unlocked that's how I would like I don't know what it's super weird it reminds me of like that Jodi Arias case that girl, oh, yeah. she'd always like break into that guy's house all the time and stuff but yep. anyways i don't i don't think she was actually crazy um she just it probably was one of the things where she's just like i i did read that like uh scott's house and his roommates was like the party house and they always had like barbecues and parties so it was probably one of those things where it's just like an open house and the front door is always open which a lot of a lot of guys houses are like that in cal poly so yeah so anyways after 
she obviously found Lacey. It was done. And then he apparently had another affair with a woman during his college times, and her name was Katie. Is there something you're not telling me? (laughs) This episode is not good for me. (laughs) There's this Katie that he's having an affair with, and then his name's Scott, and my last name's Scott. And And her uh, social security code is... (laughs) One, two, three, four, (laughs) two, eight, nine. Yeah, I don't know. I I have some kind of... So he met Janet in his senior year, and then that, you know, wham, bam, done. Yeah. And then he had this second affair his senior year, because... And then he told this girl, oh, he had a wife, but he lost her. Like, in college? (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure it happens, but... Did you not see the Mandy Moore? <laughs> I know. Walk to remember. Walk to remember. <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess she, yeah, he told her that he lost his wife and then she believed him until she went to Scott's college graduation. So maybe this girl didn't go to college with him. I don't know. But she went to his college graduation and then she saw Lazy and Scott kissing. And this part cracks me up. I'm like, what the hell? I guess Scott introduced the two of them to each other. And she's like what the hell? I'm out. <laughs> How ballsy that he either, like, that he invited both of them to his college graduation, unless she just showed up, you know? And then, on top of it, just introduce them. Like, I want to be I like, feel oh, like, hey, Katie, this is my wife. He is just so confident that Lacey's not going anywhere, but he's also, like, he knows that this is, like, something he doesn't want to mess up because this is his... Like, I don't know, this is, like, like, to be a successful businessman, right, you need, like, the wife to attend yeah. things with you and stuff like that. And so I kind of feel like he's like, I don't really care about this Katie chick. Like maybe, oh. he, maybe he kind of knew <laughs> that she also wouldn't say anything. I don't really know. All I'm thinking is like, Lacey, what are you doing, girl? Like you already knew he cheated on you once. And then this, before you're even married and now you're married and some girl walks in while you guys are like doing it. Like what, what do you think? And then some other girl, probably behaved really weird at the, call, yeah. at the graduation. I don't know. I, I don't know. Girls, if uh, your husband or boyfriend is having random women walk in while you're having sex, you, it's time to go. It's time, <laughs> time to go. go. <laughs> Alright, so after Scott's graduation, Lacey is back in slow. Uh, the two of them open their own restaurant called The Shack. It actually um, was a pretty popular restaurant. Um, but because of the high cost of living, uh, they had to sell it, and then they decided to move to Modesto. And that's where they bought their house at 523 Covina Avenue. And this is a house where they had where Lacey went missing. Uh, Scott's parents gave them $30,000 for a down payment on it. Okay, so Modesto, um, which where this story takes place, the population in 2002 is a little over 200,000 people. It's the birthplace of Star Wars creator, director, writer George Lucas, which is their claim to fame. And George Lucas, actually, he grew up there, and then he later made a movie called American Graffiti, which is based on Modesto. He also based Tatooine on uh, (laughs) Modesto. (laughs) Oh, did he? I did not know that. Little known facts that I only had to know. No, really, though? Modesto is a quiet, very flat farm town in the Central Valley of California. Um, my current roommate, like I said, is from Turlock, which is right outside of it. And then Katie and I's last roommate, she yeah. is from Modesto. And there's been the few times I've driven through there, I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's no hills. <laughs> Just driving and driving. And like where we live is super hilly. And it's, it's kind of weird. Like, I remember looking at the clouds and being like, it looks like The Simpsons. Like, it's just, 
sky and clouds that go on forever, and there's just almond ranches everywhere, tons of almond trees. Um, it's freaking dry, super cold in the winter, super hot in the summer. It's very inland, and it's in the middle of California. So that's where the stage is set. (laughs) So people that knew uh, Scott and Lacey said that they had the perfect relationship. They never fought. And even when Lacey did something that should upset Scott, he didn't get mad. Scott and Lacey had financial issues, though. Um, They were both big spenders. Big spenders. So am I. (laughs) Well outside of their means, had a lot of credit card debt. Uh, same. <laughs> and their house came from Scott's parents, like I said before. Um, his parents also paid for his 23000 a month country club membership. Hold on, what? $23,000 a month? Country club. That can't membership. be real. $23,000 a month to have a country club membership? Maybe it was a year, but... Oh my gosh. Either way. It has to be a year. I hope so. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it probably was a year. But it's probably a year. I'm gonna look that up. I'm gonna tell myself it's a year to make myself feel better, which is still pretty shitty that it would even be that much for a year. Yeah, and um, like that this guy needs a country club membership in Modesto. Like the guy lied about being a golf pro. <laughs> yeah, obviously he wasn't very good. So oh my gosh. Um, and then uh, family members and friends said that Lacey wanted a bigger house once the baby came. Um, later, Scott's half-sister said that Jackie didn't like Lacey and told her that the two were having marital problems. And Sharon Rocha, who's Lacey's mother, told police and media that, La- that Lacey had told her that Scott never wanted to fill the baby kick. And that Scott had told her once um, that when he found out Lacey was pregnant, that he was hoping she was infertile. Which also is something I forgot to mention. So when he had his affair with um, Janet, they went on, like, one of the dates they went on was, like, uh, to a rodeo. And I guess there was, like, kids running around. And she was like, oh, look how cute they are. And Scott's like, I never really want kids. Like, mm-hmm. and then we'll, we'll discuss later. He says that to Amber also. Yeah. Like, he doesn't want kids. So this is kind of like... A reoccurring thing that he's just and and I did hear in some interview that him and Lacey originally had agreed that they didn't want kids Mm -hmm. and then I think one of Lacey's siblings or something had a kid and it just kind of grew on her to where she's like I do kind of want a kid and then so then her and Scott apparently were quote-unquote trying to have a kid but I'm sure Scott probably was like maybe this isn't gonna happen I don't know yeah so uh, let's get into Lacey's disappearance now. Uh, so, you know, they're in Modesto. They're going to have this baby. She was over eight months pregnant. Over eight months pregnant. Yeah. Like, this baby could come at in, any moment. Any minute. And she went missing on Christmas Eve, which was a Tuesday morning in 2002. She was 27. Um, so young. And Scott said that they woke up at 8 a.m. in the morning and they watched Martha Stewart together. Uh, which was apparently Lacey's favorite show. Um, shout out to Martha. It's before prison or after prison? I think this was... I think it's before prison. I think this was before. So this was before she was cool, cool. So, yeah. Now she's like, who'd rep Martha? But, this you know. dog. Yeah. Okay. Martha. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And Scott said he was going to go golfing, but decided that it was too cold, so he went fishing instead. Which... <laughs> I mean, I would. I think the fishing is more cool. You're out on the water, like with water, like spraying up at you. I mean, I would rather go golfing. 
but I mean, I would rather especially not paying twenty three thousand dollars a year yeah, for it. Seriously, well, I guess parents, he wasn't paying, but still. Yeah, your parents, his parents were paying, so maybe they were paying for a fishing. Must be nice. <laughs> I just be like, can I just have that as a check? Also, I just want to say, like, if my wife was eight over eight months pregnant actually if she was even seven months pregnant I would not want her much out of my sight like especially to go fishing two hours away I'd be like no on Christmas Eve too I'd be like we I want to make sure that I'm close to her like this baby could come at any day now you know they probably have their emergency bag packed already and blah 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 and while yeah she has her family and friends it's like this is their first kid together I would probably be very pissed off if my husband went fishing on Christmas Eve when yeah. I'm that pregnant. Like, I don't so know. I. I don't know. Alright. And Scott um, said that Lacey told him she was going to go walk their dog in the nearby park and then go grocery shopping for Christmas morning breakfast. <laughs> which also doesn't make sense to me because in the trial, which we'll talk about later, the pro- one of the prosecutors, they have a lot of witnesses come up. And there was one witness that worked at Trader Joe's, and he said that he saw Lacey the day before, on that Monday, and she had bought in some stuff, and there was, you know, she, there was a ton of witnesses. She got her nails done, like, her hair done, all this stuff. Um, so she was obviously running all her Christmas errands the day before Christmas Eve, so why on Christmas Eve would she go and run more errands? Yeah. I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me, unless... Obviously, there's that, oh, shoot, I forgot eggs kind of a thing. But I don't feel like, I don't know. I just The plan just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So. No. And I do know that they had dinner plans that night with, I think, her parents, actually. Yeah. So, on the morning she went missing, between 9.20 and 9.40, neighbors saw Scott loading up his truck. Uh, he left to go to his warehouse, which was three miles away. And apparently was on his computer from 10.30 to 10.56, checking his email, um, sent out a couple emails, loaded up his boat, and headed to Berkeley. Uh, Berkeley is about two hours north... Um, northwest of Modesto, and it sits in the San Francisco Bay. Yeah, which is also, like, really far to go away from your freaking pregnant wife. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she can... If there was an emergency and she was having the baby and you're two hours away, like, on a boat in the... You might miss it. It's ridiculous. I don't know. And at 10.18 a.m., a neighbor says that she saw the Peterson's dog, Mackenzie, walking on the street alone uh, with his leash and collar on. So she took him and then put him in the backyard and shut the gate. Yeah, and I saw in one of the documentaries I was watching that there were witnesses that said they saw Lacey walking her dog that morning, but it didn't really sound like the police could take those witnesses seriously and I was thinking about that and I was like so I saw I saw documentaries from different sides and one was like you know proving Scott's innocence and the other one was like no he's guilty and I was thinking about it and I was like if someone asked me did you see her walking her dog and let's say this is something she did do on a regular basis I'd probably be like I think so there are a lot of people that walk their dogs in my neighborhood and I honestly could not tell you if they walked this morning or not. And I have seen them. I know the people in my neighborhood that walk their dogs, and I don't think I could remember if it was today or yesterday or a week ago that they walked their dog. So Besides the fact that I avoid my neighbors like the plague, I really <laughs> just don't. I don't know. I would not be sure about what time I saw somebody 
I half the time I don't even remember what I had for breakfast. So I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, I for sure saw them at this time. Yeah. Walking their dog. Unless it was unless you stopped and had a conversation with them. Yeah. That you was know? something memorable. Then I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's right. We did talk about what she got Scott for Christmas or something. But yeah. I don't know. And uh, later, Lacey's mom, Sharon, said that Lacey had actually stopped taking Mackenzie on log walks um, by this point because she was so pregnant. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so it will come up a lot of times or whether or not Lacey was walking her dog that morning or not. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, so back to Scott. Um, he has a receipt um, saying that he parked his boat at the marina at 12.54 p.m. Which one officer said it was suspicious that he would have hung on to that receipt, I guess. Yeah, that same officer also said that Scott gave him the receipt without even being asked. So he was just like, oh, see, okay, I have a receipt. Which is kind of like... This guy obviously did not watch enough crime shows. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Uh, So he said he was on the water from one to two. Uh, He called Lacey's cell phone and the home phone when he left, and he left a voicemail that says, Hey, beautiful, I just left a message at the home. Uh, It's 2.15, and I'm just leaving Berkeley. I won't be able to go to Vela Farms to get that basket for Papa. I was hoping you would get this message and go out there. I'll see you in a bit, sweetie. Love you. Bye. I know. It's just disgusting and so late later jackie peterson um accidentally lets it slip that Lacey's phone was actually broken and dead for several days which means that scott must have known this when he left that message on her cell phone so it's it's hard to believe that scott didn't know her phone was broken so like his own mother knew it was broken it's even worse and so why would he leave the voicemail on yeah phone? like why except to have some kind of fucking alibi yeah Uh, So Scott says he got some gas on the way home, but he didn't have that receipt anymore. Which one officer was like, it's suspicious, which I did kind of find a little bit funny that he's like, it's suspicious that you had a receipt for the for the parking lot, but you didn't have a receipt for the gas. And I'm like, okay, what does it matter? (laughs) I don't usually get my receipts for gas. I don't either. I mean, unless it's an outfit that I'm planning on possibly returning later, I really don't hang on my receipts. No. And I feel like a parking receipt would probably be on the dash of my car anyways, so that kind of does make sense to keep on to that receipt. But it is weird that he just, like, offered it up. Well, here, see, look, I was there. Yeah, yeah, that that part's weird. Alright, so now we're at 4.30pm. Scott drops off the boat at the warehouse, then goes straight home. He found their dog with the leash in the backyard, and the door was unlocked. Didn't think anything weird of this, brought the dog inside, assumed that Lacey was at her mom's house. Because uh, you know that's where they were supposed to be going that night. He put his clothes in the wash, grabbed some pizza and milk, which just makes me want to hurl. <laughs> pizza and milk. Um. Uh, <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't it throws me out. Um, and then he gets in the shower and gets dressed. Yeah, and I actually read in the report that um, Lacey's keys and purse were on the kitchen counter. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I read, I read in one... Um, description that he like came through the back area you know he saw that his dog had the leash on was like that's kind of weird took the leash off pets the dog says he comes in and the house is dark and he's like okay and i'm just thinking like you don't even be like lacy you here yeah you here babe oh her car was also and her car was there too so and then her keys are there so if i 
I don't know. It's just, it's such a weird thing to me to be like, you're not going to send a text to your wife and be like, hey, like, are you at your mom's right now? Like, I thought we were going together or something. Like, it's just, it doesn't make sense. But apparently, after this guy ate his pizza and milk, <laughs> apparently he's not lactose intolerant, yeah, uh, <laughs> and showered and got dressed and washed his clothes and stuff, um, he calls his mother-in-law so he calls Lacey's mom Sharon Rocha at 5 17 p.m and he asks if she's there Sharon says no and Scott says well the dog and the car are here but not Lacey he says word for word Lacey's car is at the house Mackenzie's in the yard with his leash on Lacey's missing like automatically uses the word missing Sharon says, can you call her friends and ask around? Maybe she went into labor or something. And Sharon's kind of like, uh-oh, you know, maybe maybe she's at the hospital. Maybe she had to, like, I don't know, something happened, like a friend picked her up. He calls back three minutes later, three minutes later, and says, no one's seen her. And Sharon's like, okay, well, can you check with the neighbors? He calls back in another three minutes saying, nobody's seen her. <laughs> so apparently in 15 minutes, Scott has gathered all his information. He has called all of her friends and went next door to all the neighbors and asked them, have you seen, have you seen Lacey? Do you know where Lacey is? Which I actually don't buy because I think if I was in that situation, I probably would send a text and a call and I, and maybe I wouldn't get a hold of someone. Maybe I would. And... Let's say on the chance he did get a hold of people on the first call. Walking next door to the neighbor's house still is going to take more than three minutes. Yeah. I feel like also the amount of people that somebody knows, it takes longer than three minutes to call all of them. Yeah. Like, I know if I went missing, it would take longer than three minutes for my boyfriend to call everybody to see. Oh, definitely. I mean, and you'd probably be calling her supposed broken phone, and I don't know, just, there'd be other stuff than 15 minutes. So he calls back, and he's like, nobody's seen her. And then Sharon is like, okay, like, she's like, I'm on my way over to check this out. She tells her husband, can you call 911 and tell them? She's like, I'm going to go. So at 547, Lacey's stepfather calls 911, which I actually have the phone call here for you, so I'm going to play... Um, just part of it, not the whole thing. Mom, get up. Can I help you? Yes. Um, my son-in-law called. He went playing golf this morning. Mm-hmm. At 9.30. My daughter's been missing since this morning. She's eight months pregnant. She took her dog for a walk in the park. Mm-hmm. The dog came home with just a leash shot. So the dog came back without your daughter? Right. Okay, what is your address, sister? Well, I'm a... Is that where is that where she's so it's over the Loma Park is where she went for the walk. What's your cell phone number, sir, in case you get disconnected? It's um um four oh four. Uh huh. Uh Jesus. I can't believe I'm going for four. Okay, so what's the address where she lives and she's missing from? Her address is Uh, she's Portuguese and white. How 
stop it there but one of the things I noticed about this well first of all I don't know why Scott didn't call the police himself yeah. like why he had to have his father-in-law do it and then secondly it sounds like he told his uh, step or parents-in-law that he went golfing yeah when he was you know fishing. fishing so it's kind of weird and then he says I left at 9.30 which what time was it that he left wasn't it like 10.30 I think so I think so. So, I don't know. There's already, like, some weird (laughs) things that aren't adding up. Yeah, already. This is just day one. So, um, that call was at 547. Uh, Police arrive at 6 p.m. Which is, like, record time. (laughs) I have never heard of police coming that fast. Uh, I read somewhere that they were worried because she was pregnant and missing. Um, So, they... So, I need to tell people that I'm pregnant if something's wrong? Okay. I could be stabbed. Oh, and I'm pregnant. Yeah. They're like, oh, stabbed, all right, we'll see you in an hour. Pregnant, we'll be there in 14 minutes. Exactly. (laughs) So they arrive, and they start going through the house. Um, They notice that there's no evidence of a break-in struggle. Um, They don't see blood right away, but they did see a ton of laundry piled up. So it was odd that Scott only did his own laundry and not the rest. Like, why would you just throw in your clothes and not make it a full load? So, um... I mean, that just sounds like a guy move. I know, right? <laughs> just gonna watch this. my favorite t-shirts. Dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just take this off. I got pizza and milk on it. Gross. <laughs> All right. So then he tells police that they shouldn't be surprised if they find blood because he's a sportsman and it would likely be the. I'm sorry. Golf. Come on. I know. I'm a sportsman. I can't <laughs> I'm a sportsman. I play golf. <laughs> There's totally blood sometimes. You don't know. It gets a little gruesome. <laughs> It's a dangerous game. (laughs) And uh, sure enough, they find a little bit of Scott's blood on their duvet cover in the bedroom. Um, His hands also have some small cuts. The bed was made, but the duvet cover had an indent on it as if somebody had laid down. Um, Try to remember this for when we discuss the trial. It becomes important later. Um, He also asked the night of her disappearance if they were going to use cadaver dogs, which, you know, your wife's missing and you... Oh, automatically assume. You guys are gonna use those cadaver dogs? I'm sorry, dogs? are you gonna use cadaver dogs? Which also is kind of like he has certain um, phrases that he uses which are kind of odd, like they're just saying cadaver dogs in general. Um, I read in some other I think it was his sister's book that she wrote that he would use um, is it called Reg- Regus Mort what is the phrase called? Oh, Regus Mortis? Yes, that yeah. he would use that and I guess like in one of the interviews with Amber he said like oh I have a Regus Mortis smile like super weird super weird to say that I don't it's know. It's so strange Like he's already thinking about death Yeah doing his research there was actually his senior quote had something to do with death too it was like a play on words i'll have to look it up find that out yeah so um the detective that arrives and who we're going to see through this entire case is detective brocchini um he asked scott if he could take him to the warehouse so he could have a look at the boat scott obliged but when they got there scott said there was no lights because electricity had been turned off which is so fishy because Scott had said he had been there earlier using the computer. 
So if he was using a computer, you know, those use electricity. So, um, and no power outages were reported in the area. So, you know, Scott's obviously lying about something. Uh, Brachini used his headlights to search around, but, you know, can't really see anything because it's dark out. So now we're at 12 a.m. to 1 a.m. Scott sits down for a one-hour tape interview with the police. The timeline that we have from before comes from this interview. Uh, Scott is asked if they have any marriage problems, and he says no. Uh, the videotape shows that Scott is calm. His hands are in his jacket pockets. He's slouched um, in his chair. He isn't crying or visibly upset. At one point, he checks his phone um, and puts it back in his pocket, and he's asked if he's willing to take a polygraph, and he says that he will. They asked him about his fishing trip and what he was looking for and what bait he was using. He said he was fishing for sturgeon, but police noticed that uh, noted that he didn't have the right equipment for sturgeon, the right bait for them, and that fishing for sturgeon in San Francisco Bay was illegal. What is sturgeon? <laughs> I need to it's look like that a up. Big fish. Um, smells likely silver. Oh, gross! I just looked it up. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> Scott also said that he stopped fishing because it started to rain. But when they checked the weather reports for those days, uh, there was no rain. Uh, yeah. It's so weird. I actually watched the video of when they're asking him questions, and none of the questions were really, like, that bizarre. Like, I wouldn't say that they were automatically assuming it was him. It was kind of just more like, okay, where were you today? Like, did you hear from her? Blah, blah, blah. But the whole time, he's, like, slumped back in his seat like he's some high punk high schooler. He's got his hands in his pockets, and he just doesn't look like someone who is so worried about his very pregnant wife that's missing. Like, if I was in the interview, I'd be like, are we done here? Like, what else do you need? What else do you need? I could tell you what I ate today. Like, what do you need? You know, kind of a thing. He almost looks annoyed that he's there. Yeah. Or he's, like, bored. I don't yeah. know. He just... it's His behavior is so weird, which... Is the one thing we'll see through this whole case is his behavior is pretty much what determined his guilty, not guilty thing. Yeah. Um, Scott also tells cops at this point that when he left, Lacey was wearing expensive jewelry, like a diamond necklace. This is kind of weird because she was planning on, you know, running errands, getting ready for Christmas Eve, baking cookies. It was early in the morning. Like, the first thing I... I don't wake up in the morning planning to run errands, put on a diamond necklace. I frost myself. <laughs> Let's get some bling on for Trader Joe's. I mean, my ex's, like, mom did, she it's kind of funny, she'd always wear, like, um, she lived in the Bay Area, actually, and she'd always wear, like, sweatpants, but she always wore this giant rock of a ring on her finger, and her nails were always, like, super done. Was it sweatpants or Juicy Couture? No, they were not Juicy Couture. They were, like, full-on sweatpants. Like, I don't know. And she was, like, she was very into money and stuff like that. But it was just, like, she'd go and run errands like that and wear this big old ring and stuff. And I was, like, it's so weird. But I did read an interview where Sharon, Lacey's mom, said that Lacey actually rarely wore expensive jewelry like that. Like, it was more for special occasions. So, again think it's kind of weird that she would go out and wear that when she's just gonna go run errands so i don't know strange yeah uh so the next day it's it's christmas now scott calls his parents and tells them that Lacey is missing uh they say that he seemed upset um and then he calls his siblings to let them know uh, police say that scott doesn't ask a lot of questions he seems disinterested just like he did the night before and now he refuses to take a polygraph um which his dad, Lee, says was at his suggestion. 
Uh, Brockini goes back to the warehouse to search in daylight. Which is the detective, if you guys forgot. Yeah. Remember, Detective Broccolini. Yes. Well, it's actually Brockini, but... Brockini. <laughs> detective Broccoli. He goes back to the warehouse. Um, it's daylight now, so you can, you know, see what's going on. The boat had a big concrete piece with a rebar um, on top of it. Um, and outlines of concrete on the bottom of the boat show that there may have been more of those same things. Uh, Scott said it was a homemade anchor, but there was no evidence of a rope being on the boat, which, you know, you kind of need for it to be an anchor. Um, <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> you know, just throw it into the water and hope for the best. Actually, one time I was at the lake, and we did tie a rope to it, but we just did a really shitty knot. And we threw the anchor in there, and boom, anchor was gone, rope came back up, and I was like... Well, <laughs> like, I look at everyone. Everyone's looking at me like, are you kidding me? And I'm like, uh, is a double knot not a real knot? <laughs> so uh, the boat was scratched on the side, and there's also a pair of pliers that had a black hair uh, that matched samples from Lacey's brush. The hairs on the pliers, though, couldn't be tested for DNA because there was no, like... You know, the hair follicle thing at the end. I actually don't really understand that. So, on your hair, do you know when you pull out your hair sometimes, you see that little white piece at yeah. the end? That's, like, how they test hair. Oh, I always wonder. I thought they could just look at the hair. But now that I... Um, they can look at the hair, but it's not as accurate. I know what you're thinking. I actually know what you're saying now, because I've seen, like, uh, video footage of when they're comparing hair samples, and it's more like they're looking in, like, the lines of the hairs when they zoom in on it. Yeah. But yeah, they need a little piece of... I always call it a piece of scalp. That's <laughs> technically like what it is. Like, I, I mean, I guess so. So it's <laughs> yeah. kind of gross to say it that way. But yeah. Okay. Uh, so um, then re- receipts show that Scott had purchased a big bag of concrete just days before Lacey's disappearance. Nobody in the Rocha or Peterson family knew Scott even owned a boat. Lacey's stepfather says that it was odd that they didn't know about it because Scott and Lacey usually like to show off their major purchases, um, which implies that Lacey didn't even know that Scott had the boat. Yeah. Also, about the hair thing, um, there's, like, one documentary that obviously Scott's family, like, paid to have made or had some part of it or something like that. And they're like, well, of course Lacey's hair is going to be, like, somewhere around Scott. And I'm like, but in pliers? And they weren't, like, laying, I was reading, they weren't, like, even laying on top of the pliers or near the pliers. They were in the in pliers. The boat, huh? like, wrapped around the pliers. That's weird. Yeah. I mean, my hair gets all over this apartment, but... It is not in my toolkit no. at all. It is not like, in weird things like that. That just does not make sense at all. It could happen, but the chances are so slim. Yeah. And then the other thing was that he bought a shit ton of concrete and apparently only made one anchor. And he, yeah. like, shows the anchor that he made. But like we said, there was no rope attached. We're like, that's kind of weird. You made an anchor, no, no rope. Left. But there's no concrete left. So one of the arguments that they made was, oh, well, he used concrete to fill up muddy holes in his driveway, which they apparently found one muddy hole in his driveway that has some concrete in it but I'm also kind of like yeah he could have put a little bit there but it's not enough to make up for no and he's unable to produce the bag of concrete to show that he has more left. yeah it was enough co- it was enough concrete to make four or five anchors it was not like a little bit left over so yeah. that's what's so weird about it anyways the day after Christmas so December 26th which Anytime a crime happens around Christmas time, I just feel like it is even more terrible, even though I'm not trying to pull away from crimes that happen in other parts of the year, but it just seems like the worst 
time of the year. It's supposed to be the best time of the year. Anyways, <laughs> it's the most wonderful time the of the year. The most wonderful <laughs> time of the year. But anyways, the news begins to report on the case. The police issue a statement. The community in Modesto, they get involved, like, right away. Like, they start making a search party and flyers. They have pins and T-shirts and maps are handed out. There's volunteers coming from even an hour away from Modesto to search 24 hours a day and establish a volunteer center. They, they are, I'm sorry, they establish a volunteer center at the Ryan, Red Lion Hotel. Sorry, the Prosecco's getting to me a little bit. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, people are, like all over the place like like how i talked about the billboards earlier there was a billboard made up that said you know have you seen lacey peterson had a big picture on her like people got really into this you know to look for her police asked to search the home again they take some computers they bring a release form to, to sign but scott says no and he contacts his attorney but the attorney doesn't contact him in time so the police go ahead and execute a warrant to search the night of the 26th they ask for Lacey's belongings for the scent dogs and he scott has goes ahead and he gives him a few of her like belongings and stuff and some of his own belongings but then he says hey can you give me a list of what you're taking and a police officer makes a receipt for him and they say this is the first time in 20 years someone has ever asked for him to do so for a missing family member which the whole this is the thing about scott's behavior is it's so freaking weird it's like if my mom or my dad or my brothers or whatever was or my significant other was missing i'd be like what do you need for me like literally take anything take anything i want to be like material who cares yeah it's material i want my loved one back like whatever you need tell me tell me tell me tell me what can i get for you what can i do what can i do um i wouldn't be like okay yeah but can you also write down what you took for me so i know to get it back i mean maybe maybe if someone was having a hard time processing this and this is kind of what helped them i could see that but it is still kind of weird I was also reading that when the police officer was uh, writing down the receipt for him, Scott took another piece of paper and slipped it under the receipt that the cop was writing on so that he wouldn't get marks on the table underneath. So he was worried about not even just the items, but he didn't want him writing on the table because he didn't want the table to get ruined. That's really weird. But this I, guy is eating, like, pizza and milk or whatever. <laughs> Getting it all I over him and having to do his laundry. <laughs> Anyways, so they send in some scent dogs to track her, and apparently they thought that the her scent would go towards the park, but it actually went the opposite way, and then it kind of disappears. So the police at this point are like, she must have gotten in a car. Yeah. So that's kind of where they're at. All right, so now we're on the next day, December 27th. Investigators removed two cars and two computers to be searched um, from the Peterson home, and media begins to show up at the Peterson's neighborhood in masses. They're, like, lined up the streets in the neighborhood. It's insane. This is tiny little Modesto, but it is, like, the biggest news in the Bay Area right now. Yeah. Uh, Lacey's mother, father, and brother plead on television for Lacey to come home and for people uh, to give them information on her. And they're asking if somebody did take her to let her go. You know, they're not going to ask questions. Just do the right thing and let Lacey come home. Her family is super emotional. um, And during this, Scott doesn't want to be on camera. (laughs) So uh, people are starting to get pretty sick. It's like, I got a zit. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) No. 
<laughs> they're looking pretty suspicious. Uh, if he had a zit, it's probably from the pizza and milk. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you know we're all lactose intolerant after 12? <laughs> yes. um, Scott's family does speak to the media as well. Um, his mother makes a statement at her vigil, which is on December 31st. Um, Scott still tells the media not to film him. He doesn't want them taking pictures. He actually makes a form- formal request of a victim's rights group so that his image isn't shared and pulls down flyers that have pictures of him and Lacey. And he, he tells people that notice that, that he wants to keep them, but he's only pulling down pictures of him and Lacey. Honestly, Lacey. all I can think of at this point is like, you're motherfucking guilty and you're hoping no one recognized you dumping a body in the ocean right yeah. now. That's like all yeah. I can think of. Um, at this point, Scott is helping behind the scenes um, and Lacey's parents um, at this moment are adamant that they don't sus- suspect him. <laughs> Prosecco's getting to me, too. Um, And that they love him. Neighbors later reported that there was a burglary at their house across the street on the morning of Lacey's disappearance. So around, they think, around 11.40 a.m. Family and cops think there is finally a break in the case. Another neighbor said that they saw three men with a van at the burglarized house and tells the police a few days later after Lacey's disappearance. January 3rd, Two of the three men suspected of burglarizing the house across the street are taken in for questioning. The cops then verify and say that the burglary took place on the 26th of December, not the 24th. So men are cleared of having anything to do with Lacey's disappearance. However, one reporter says he was there the morning of December 26th and he didn't see anything happening outside. And we'll have to talk about more in the trial. But I will say, though, that is... This is one of those really weird things because I do think that the media had gotten wind of this disappearance by the 26th, so I feel like there would have also just been a lot of police activity at the Petersons' home, so Mm -hmm. I think an idiot would break into a home on the 26th, so I don't know. While I think Scott is still guilty, I do kind of think that by coincidence, this break-in probably actually did happen on the 24th, but... Or even the 25th. I don't think it happened on the 26th. But that's just my personal opinion, obviously. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but I guess those guys had alibis um, on the 24th that were solid. Mm. Um, but a neighbor... I don't know. People who support Scott's innocence talk a lot about how they think Lacey would have went over and confront confronted them if she saw them breaking in. Which I don't think I would do enough out of that pregnant. <laughs> right? I wouldn't do that normally. I'd call the cops. Like Yeah. I'm not gonna be dealing with it. Yeah, yeah. Well like why wouldn't she call the cops? You know? Yeah. And so they theorized that she was taken in this van, um and then the dog, you know, got loose. Uh so before Lacey's body was found, Scott calls her um or Scott sells her car and cops are starting to grow suspicious that he's hiding something. You know, who sells their missing wife's car? That's, like, showing that you don't think she's coming home, that she's not going to need it. Um, and he throws away their wedding album. Police find it in the trash during a search. And he also upgrades his cable to include porn channels. <laughs> and, like, going back to the Bachelor life, he's, like, erasing Lacey. He's like, here goes her car, here goes the wedding album. Time to settle in with... Uh, triple titties, triple X3. Yeah. He's, like, sitting there on the couch dipping his pizza and some milk. Gross. <laughs> so gross. Oh, anyway. At uh, this time, he also... Pizza goes with beer, not milk. I know. 
Not Scott Peterson. No. So that's how I knew that he was guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Guilty of something. What a disgrace. I know. Um, And he also meets with a realtor to talk about selling the house. Which is also kind of weird. Yeah. Like, your house may or may not be a crime scene. Why are you thinking about selling it? I don't know. So anyways, let's talk about why we're drinking champagne and strawberries. Um, Amber Frey, who's a 27-year-old, uh, she's living in Fresno, California, which is about an hour and 20 minutes south of Modesto. She has, at this time, a one-and-a-half-year-old baby girl, and she's working at a massage therapist where she has her own rented space at the at American Body Works. Her friend Sean, who's a girl, I was very confused by this, but Sean's a girl, um, she tells Amber about a guy that she met at a convention in Anaheim. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. So when Sean met, like, Scott at the convention, he was wearing a name tag that just said HB. And when Sean asked him what it meant, he told her, horny bastard. Oh, my God. What the hell? <laughs> and that's who she tried to set her friend up with. He's I the perfect you know, guy for I you. met a guy who had a horny bastard on his name tag, I would not set you up with him. So that's my promise to you. HB? <laughs> that does not make sense. I actually didn't... I didn't know that she referred to him as a horny bastard. I didn't know why. Now I know why. Yes. That is really weird. <laughs> I wonder if he had a name tag that accidentally said HB and he thought it was funny to say that or if he just like... <laughs> Let's put horny bastard on my name tag. (laughs) (laughs) Freaking loser. Jeez. Anyways, Sean is like, Amber, I met the perfect guy for you. Horny bastard. No, but um, she did say that she met the perfect guy for him or for her. And uh, she gives Scott Amber's information at the convention. And he actually doesn't call for a while. Um, probably because he's busy being married. <laughs> but Sean sends him an email and she's like, hey, you haven't called Amber yet. Like, what's going on? I gave you, you know, her number and I told Amber about you. So Amber and Scott have their first phone conversation on November 19th. And they actually go on their first date the very next day, November 20th, because he was supposed to be traveling through Fresno for business. And so they meet up for their first date at the Elephant Bar, which, you know, super classy location. Oh, yeah. In Fresno. <laughs> Classier still. Uh, then well, Scott, she, she lives in Fresno, so, you know, she so, can't help it. She can't help where you live. <laughs> um, but then Scott says instead of having dinner immediately, he wants to stop at his hotel, which is the Radisson. Uh, he said he'd been working all day and that Amber looked super nice, so he wanted to freshen up so that he could look nice, too. Which, what the fuck? Why would you show up to a date not freshen the fuck up? Yeah. I'm sorry. What? And as we know, he was not on a business trip, so... <laughs> anyway. So, he took Amber up to his hotel room and got ready um, to shower. He started to undress, and then he pulled out a bottle of champagne from his duffel bag and also pulled out some strawberries. <laughs> Let's come up and uh, suave. Yeah. Oh, I need to freshen up. Yeah. You know, guys come up with the dumbest excuses to suddenly be naked and have sex. Right. So, how did these get here? Like the champagne and strawberries. Like it reminds me of the how much was it in How I Met Your Mother where there's like the naked man. Yes. Right. And they just like open the door and it's like if you're naked, maybe something will happen. But he's just like champagne, strawberries. Again, it's kind of like one of those overly romantic things like for the, the first fucking date like the roses yeah. 
Like, if this was my boyfriend of, you know, a significant amount of time, and he's like, hey, I have some champagne and strawberries, like, oh, it's so cute and romantic. But the first date, and also this girl followed him to his hotel room, which I'm like, do you not watch serial killer crimes? (laughs) (laughs) Do not go with someone to their hotel room on a first date. That just, no. (laughs) Anyways, anyways. What a slick motherfucker. <laughs> and honestly, if Amber's looking for a serious relationship, which is apparently what she told Sean, like, I have a baby, I want to find the real guy, I want to find someone serious, I really do not know why she would think that someone who brings you to his hotel room before dinner, not even after dinner, but before dinner, um, busts out liquor is someone who's looking for wife material. Yeah. No. No. That's booty call, baby. Booty call. Yes, that is. At the Radisson in Fresno. (laughs) (laughs) It could be Motel 6. Come on. (laughs) Uh, So after this, they actually went to a nearby Japanese restaurant and Amber stayed the night. Ooh la la. Um, uh, The champagne and strawberries worked, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) I don't recommend that to you guys, though. Come on. Um... If you invite a girl up for champagne and strawberries to your hotel on the first date, she is most likely going to run. So, don't do this. Alright, so Scott told Amber that he sold farm fertilizer for a company based in Spain and traveled all over the world. So much that he never settled down. No wife, no girlfriend, not even a dog. He said he lived in Sacramento and that he also had a condo in San Diego. And he had found a couple that wanted to purchase the condo and his Land Rover. Which... He did own a Land Rover, technically, I guess, but it was actually Lacey's Land Rover. <laughs> it's like nothing's true except for that one little tiny piece. And it's still like a, it's a half truth. Half truth. Yeah. About two weeks later, on December second, um, so they met on the twentieth. So on December second, Scott says, "Hey, I'm passing through Fresno again." So he and Amber go on a hiking date, and he ends up staying the night. And the next day, she actually was like, hey, can you go pick up my daughter from daycare? And she gives him the keys to her house, which I'm just like, you've known this guy for how long? And you're giving him the keys to your house? And pick up your your daughter? Yeah. No. I don't know. I'm sorry, Amber, but no. (laughs) Not a good idea. Anyways, he stays the night, whatever. On December 6th, her friend Sean, somehow, I don't know how she found out, but she found out that Scott was married, and she tells Scott, hey, you need to tell Amber or I'm going to tell Amber. So on December 9th, Scott calls Amber, and he's like, hey, I need to meet you in person. I need to tell you about something. They meet up, and he says, hey, this is going to hurt you, but... I was married. I actually was married, and this is going to be my first Christmas without my wife since she's passed. What? <laughs> like, late, remember, guys, this is December 9th, so this is, like, you know, 15 days before Lacey goes missing, and he's like, this is my first Christmas without my wife. I'm so sad. Apparently, he was sobbing in Amber's lap, like, sobbing about how lonely he was and how sad he was that his wife had passed away, um, just totally, you know, shedding the tears. And here's a little fun fact. On the same day that he told Amber that his wife was miss or had passed, he bought that boat. He bought that boat, and he apparently was researching ocean currents. 
On December 11th, he comes back to Fresno for, I don't know, maybe another business trip, whatever. And they go tuck shopping because Amber had... um, Amber had asked him to go to a Christmas party with her. So they pick up the tux a few days later and they go to the party on the 14th, which is where the infamous Christmas picture, which we will have on our Instagram, that's actually where it's from. And this is actually the last, that Christmas party is actually the last time they were going to see each other until trial. And on our Instagram, we also have a picture of Lacey at a Christmas party the same exact night by herself. Lacey's eight months pregnant by herself at a Christmas party and her husband is doing freaking prom pictures with his side hussy in Fresno. Uh, yeah. So then he tells Amber, Scott tells Amber, hey, I'm going to be out traveling in Europe for a few weeks, so I'm going to be a little out of touch. So now we're on December 30th. So Macy, uh, Macy, <laughs> Lacey has been missing for several days now. Um, at 1.40 in the morning, Amber's friend, Richard Bird, who's a Fresno detective, tells Amber that Scott Peterson is a person of interest in a missing person's case. Amber immediately calls the Modesto police and is told to call the tip line. Um, she calls them in the morning at 8.41. Modesto detectives Brockini and Bueller went to interview Amber at 11 a.m. the same day. Not Ferris Bueller, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Broccolini and Ferris. <laughs> Uh, they got her. Um, they got her some recording equipment to attach to her phone so she could record Scott. They wanted her to continue to keep talking to Scott like nothing had happened, hoping to catch him in the act. On December thirty first, which is the very ne- actually, I read that like five minutes after they went to Radio Shack and bought the equipment. Uh, Scott called Amber and they're like oh shit but then it was like one of those things where he's like I can't hear you I can't hear you are you there and like hangs up well the next day he calls her and this is only just remember this is only seven days after Lacey has disappeared seven days so it's a week a week after Lacey's disappeared Scott calls Amber at 420 to quote unquote check in from Europe while he is at Lacey's candlelight vigil, which started at 4.30. So at 4.20, he's calling Amber, and then at 4.30, the vigil starts in, you know, to pray and and think about Lacey and, like, wonder where she's at and stuff like that. So I have that phone call actually here for you. Um, and one thing you're going to notice is uh, he he's really good at lying. So let me play that for you. Baby. Yes. Amber. Can you hear me? Yeah. You can? Yeah, hey. Oh my goodness. That's kind of quiet, but it's pretty good, huh? That's really good. Oh my god. Uh, like been all this crazy static and stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm so frustrated. I know. I'm trying to call her. Working. Amber. Yes. Amber. Very good. It's pretty awesome. Fireworks and everything. The Apple Tower. 
stop that right there but um he is obviously really good at lying on the fly um he's like pretending like he's in europe or at the eiffel tower for some big new year's eve event and he's even figured out the time difference which i thought was weird there's a lot of phone calls where he's supposedly in europe and he's like oh it's like really early in the morning here i hope it's not too it's not too late for you and i'm like this guy did the math like he figured out exactly what time to call to make it seem real mm-hmm. um there's even like phone calls where there's a dog barking in the background which is obviously his dog Mackenzie, and he's saying stuff like yeah there's like a dog in the hotel room next to me can you hear it it's so fucking annoying like oh my gosh and it's so early in the morning when it's like really you know nine o'clock at night but if he was in europe it would have been like four in the morning or something like that so it's just uh, and the thing that he's like easily lying like this like at his missing wife's vigil yeah pictures um, that were captured of him from this night show him laughing and smiling it's it's really like truly disgusting seriously I listened to a lot of these recorded calls and I don't know if you guys noticed in the beginning of that call he's like Amber Amber you there you there he does that a lot and I was like trying to think about it. I'm like okay the year 2002 like I think cell phones, you know, were starting to, I don't know, I, th- I think I got my first cell phone like, 99 or something like that, or 2000. So, I do remember them dropping calls. What was that one commercial? Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. What was that for? Was that H- Verizon? Verizon. Yeah. I was, like, trying to remember. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that was, like, so that was a thing around that time frame to drop calls or lose them, but... Every like almost every single phone call between Amber between him and Amber he does that, and part of me was like, what if he is like on the phone, and he's walking around and like someone starts to approach him, but he's like doing this whole thing like, hey, are you there? Are you there? Like as an excuse to walk away, or it's an excuse to cut the conversation shorter. I I really don't know. I I just there's points where Amber's like, I can hear you just fine. Like I don't understand why you can't hear me, and she's like, are you by a freeway like this doesn't make any sense and I'm like yeah it's kind of weird and then there was one phone call on January 2nd which between I thought this was so weird because so this is before so obviously Amber knows that Scott's wife is missing she is working with the police at this time frame but Scott doesn't know that Amber knows right he just thinks Amber has no idea that Scott's married or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You know. 
Um, let us know if you know what that's from. Anyways, <laughs> uh, but he tells Scott, or he tells Amber, he's like, hey, I have a request for you. And she's like, okay, in her little baby voice. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but she's like, or uh, he tells her, yeah, go rent Love Affair. And Amber's like, um, why? And he's like, because just, just go rent it, watch it, and we can talk about it later. He's like, it's this great movie. And she's just like, that is such a weird re- request. Like, why do you want me to watch it? I looked up Love Affair because I was like, what is he talking about? And it kind of sounds a little bit like An Affair to Remember, which is like a classic movie. But I guess Love Affair is a movie made in 1994, and it's a remake of a 1939 film. And it's about two people who are, one guy's engaged and the other girl's like dating someone and they meet on a cruise and they both like fall in love and they have a romance. And then once they get to New York, they go back to their significant others. But then they're like, let's meet on top of the Empire State Building in six months. And then like a tragic accident happens, which honestly sounds just like an affair to remember. But anyways, Scott is already like, I just thought that was such a weird detail to be like, yeah, go watch this movie. And that's the movie he picks in Affair to Remember. Yeah. It's it's freaking weird. It's like preparing her for <laughs> the truth that he's having. Yeah, and like some her. tragic accident happens. Yeah, like trying to romanticize that, it. That, that's, that puts a, 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 a pole in the spoke of our love. Like, it's so weird. Anyways, this continues for a few more days um, where Amber is like really trying to just act like nothing wrong is on her end. She's trying to act like she doesn't know. She's trying to keep it up. There's, like, phone calls where Scott's calling. He's like, you're so special to me. Like, I care about you so much. And he's trying to, like, sex talk her. He's like, oh, I I look at your picture that you gave me, like, all the time. And this girl is probably like, this guy is a freaking psycho. But she is sitting there like, oh, really? That's cool. (laughs) I don't have to pretend to keep it up. I don't think I would last as long as she did, to be honest. No. No, uh -uh. (laughs) And on January 6th, Amber, she's trying to now, like, coax it out of him because he's, like, obviously not giving away anything. So she's like, hey, my friend Sean says she's really worried about me. Do you know why she would think she's worried about me? Like, that's kind of weird, right? And Scott's like, oh, yeah, that's weird. That's weird. She's like, yeah, I don't know why she would say that. And then eventually Scott's like, okay, I, I have to tell you something. And he tells her, he's like, uh... So this is going to hurt you and I feel really bad, but I actually still am married and my wife disappeared two weeks ago. And she amazingly does not break face through this phone call. And she's just like, your wife is missing? Like, what the heck? And then and then he tells her, you know, I told her about us and she was okay. And Amber's like, how is your wife okay that you're with me and you told me she's like she blatantly is like hey you told me that on December 9th you had lost your wife and now your wife is missing like I I don't understand and he's just like trying to calm her down he tells her oh loss it looks different yeah sometimes loss is different to different people and different things she's just like what the hell but she keeps it up with him. Um, you know, she keeps this conversation going with him. And he's just thinking, like, yeah, like, Amber's still with me. Like, she's going to get help me through this hard time kind of weird shit. 
And she's, like, trying to keep him going. She actually tries to convince him to do, like, a, the polygraph and stuff. But eventually, on February 4th, the police cut the wire. And the last documented phone call between Scott and Amber is February 19th. So she kept it up for, like, a month after this. But then I think she got tired and also probably really spooked about it. So, and uh, around this time frame, pictures started getting leaked of her and Scott to the press. So that's like another thing we'll talk about later. But uh, it's Amber was one of the key witnesses in the case. So I'm actually, I'm actually really not sure if the prosecutor would have won if it wasn't for Amber's testimony and the record, recorded phone calls. Because it's like one of those things where it's like nothing's really tying him to the case, you know, like that's concrete but then you hear these phone calls and like that one we just showed you where it's so easy for him to lie and he's lying after his wife is disappeared and while he's at a freaking vigil like it's just so easy to him it just showed the jury what a freaking lying bastard he is and how he could just do it so easily so one of the weird things about amber herself is that scott peterson was not the first married guy with a baby on the way that Amber had dated. So back in 1998, Amber met, dated, and moved in with Josh Hart. He was separated from his wife, but his wife was pregnant. Amber even threw a baby shower for her, <laughs> which is so, so like, weird. Hey, I'm, you know, dating and moved in with your with your husband, but <laughs> let's throw a baby shower. Why can't we be friends? Right? This is some Jerry Springer shit for real. Um, but Josh's wife ended up reconciling and getting back together. And then Amber reported that Josh assaulted her by grabbing her face. Um, but she waited four days to report it, um, which, you know. Also, like, what do you mean grabbed your face? Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of weird. I don't know. I, I, I was thinking about that. I was reading it. And I was trying to read it. And I'm like, okay, like, how? I don't know. It's just a weird thing it to say. It is weird. Like, I don't know. Grabbed my face super hard and... But um, Josh stated that Amber was just saying that to get back at him for leaving her, and um, he goes ahead and files no contest. He just wants, he just doesn't want to deal with the drama. Like I don't know, the, there there's like a lot in the case. I think the um, prosecutor for a while they like try to make it sound like Amber and Scott had this crazy big love affair, and like that's why Scott killed Lacey because he wanted to be with Amber. And I'm like, realistically, the couple only met up like four times. And Scott actually didn't call Amber a whole lot. I mean, if you think about like in the in the fact that it was two months that they were two or three months, right, that they were together, he did send her kind of lavish gifts like he did with, you know, like we talked about um, Janet. He did send Amber some gifts and stuff like that and took her out to really expensive, nice restaurants and stuff. Like, he'd rent, like, private rooms at, like, a Japanese restaurant for them and stuff. But, like, he didn't call all the time, every time. Like, they did a lot of phone tag, actually. Like, I was looking at the call records, and it's, like... Amber actually looks kind of like the crazy clingy girlfriend. Like, she would kind of call and call and call until Scott would call her back. And then they would have pretty short conversations, and then maybe at the end of the day, they'd have, like, a 20-minute conversation tops. It's like, for example, uh, this one day, I can't remember what day it is, but at 3.04, Amber calls. 5.32, Amber calls. 5.37, Amber calls. 5.48, Amber calls. 5.50, Amber calls. 6.55, Scott calls her back. And it's like a one-minute conversation. Then 
we go back to the voicemails and all those previous calls were Amber calling his voicemail, by the way. So Amber calls his voicemail again at uh, 6.57, 7.18, 7.19, 7.34, 7.36, 8.16, 8.20, 8.21, until finally Scott calls her back at 9.33 and they have a 17-minute phone call. So, I don't know, maybe Amber found out about Lacey and flipped out and killed Lacey. <laughs> I, don't, I actually don't really think that happened, but... I also don't think Scott killed Lacey just to be with Amber because Amber's not his first affair. He's had like at least four different affairs in a relationship like we talked about. And it doesn't seem like he was like obsessed with her. Like he fantasizes about things with Amber, but I don't think it was like the love of his life kind of a thing. I don't think he killed her to be with Amber either. He mentioned several times to Amber that he doesn't want more kids and even mentioned wanting a vasectomy. Um, she has a kid, and he's like, oh, well, she'll be enough for us. We'll raise her together. But I'm sure because she did have a kid, she didn't fit his ideal. Um, plus, in the past, when we see that he was dumped by his previous affairs, he doesn't really seem to care too much and isn't really too hung up on them. I think Lacey and Connor were just a threat to the lifestyle he wanted, which was, you know, to be some single single party guy who could date whoever and, you know, bring girls up to his hotel Watch room. whatever porn he wants. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And he just didn't want, you know, Lacey and Connor to be in the way anymore. I think Connor was really the, the big threat to the kind of lifestyle he wanted. All right, so January 14th, National Enquirer gets a hold of a picture of Amber and Scott at the Christmas party, the one that we're gonna be posting on our Instagram. So the National Enquirer says that they're going to publish it, but at this point in the investigation, cops have not told the Rocha or Peterson family about Amber. So the media got a hold of it, is gonna announce it before the family even knows that Scott was having an affair. Uh, So let's get to 10 days later, January 24th. Lacey has been missing for a month now. Uh, please write a statement for Amber to read. And she she does. She gets up, reads it. Kind of so incredibly hard for her to do that. Yeah. Like, that, you could tell. She, yeah. Too. She was like shaking and just like, I'm so sorry. Like, he did not tell me he was married. I did not know these things. And I'm like, this poor girl. Like, no one can blame her for anything. Like, no. She didn't do anything wrong. She actually tried to do the right thing. You yeah. know? When she found out that he, had, he was married still and his wife was missing. Uh, so, from this point on, Lacey's family is convinced that Scott killed her. The volunteer center at the Red Lion closes as well, uh, because a lot of volunteers are feeling betrayed, and they start talking to the media about it, and calling Scott a liar, a traitor, um, and then, because of all the backlash, Scott goes to stay with his half-sister, Ann Bird. She's over in San Diego. She begins to suspect him as well. He seems unbothered that Lacey is gone, and he never mentions the baby, which is strange. Yeah. (laughs) While watching the news about Lacey, he comments to his sister that they are looking in the wrong places, which, like, how would you know? (laughs) So he um, would also go out and party, and he would hit on Anne's college-age babysitter and made her flirtinis. Which is what we totally should have named our drink. (laughs) I know. We should have been the flirtini. Um, the babysitter is obviously super uncomfortable. Like, I'm sure she has been watching the news and knows about this guy. And now he's, like, hitting on her and making her cocktails. 
So she leaves. Um, one of Anne's friends asked him if he killed Lacey. Just like the balls on this woman, like straight up being like, so did you kill your wife? So did you do it? <laughs> yeah. And he tells her, no, I loved my wife, which, you know, speaking in the past 10 He does that a lot. A lot, yeah. A lot. Um, another like in all the news reports and stuff like that, he always refers to Lacey in a past tense. Yeah, sometimes he'll correct himself, but sometimes it doesn't seem like he catches it. Uh, another friend notices that Scott has a lot of pesos on him. Um, the incident with the Flirtinis was later leaked to the That's, news. That's uh, Mexican money for, you know, all you people don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I should be clear. Over here in California, we know what's up, but everywhere else. So the Flirtini incident... <laughs> <laughs> the Flirtinis uh, was leaked to the news and Lee and Jackie called Anne and asked her to call the police and tell them it never happened. So they wanted her to lie to the police. Yeah, and, so Lee and Jackie remember Scott's parents yeah. who, nothing wrong ever happens in our family. Yeah. Um, Jackie also told Anne at this time that men cheated on their wives all the time, and it doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean anything. In late January, after Amber's press conference, Scott Peterson agrees to do four interviews, and immediately the media attacks him, saying that he's been shifty-eyed and catching him in a lie. <laughs> they claim in an interview that on December 24th, he told the police about Amber... But uh, he told the police he had a happy marriage and had no marriage problems, remember? So he tells the media that Lacey knew about the affair and she was okay with it. And that she was amazing. Another slip of the tongue, it sounds like. And then he quickly changes it to, she is amazing. Which there's like interviews with her like closest best friends and they're like, Lacey would have told us if Scott was cheating on her. And she would not have been okay with it. At eight months pregnant? No. No, no, no. So we kind of have gone, we thought this could be a, a one episode podcast, but we're already like an hour and a half into this. So I think we're going to have to finish the rest of this on another podcast. But as you can see, Scott fucking Peterson. (laughs) Dude, this guy is just lying left and right. He's getting caught in his lies left and right. Uh, you know, his perfect golden boy image is starting to crash down around him. Um, He's disgusting, and a lot of people are starting to see that. Lacey's parents are already he's turning just, on him. He's just so fake. Yeah. And everything's so perfect. So, like, even these, like, dates he takes these girls on, it's, like, over the top. Like a movie. Over the... Yeah, exactly yeah. like a movie. And it's... I don't know why, but I was just like, it's so weird that he pulls up that whole love affair. Like, like... I feel like he's trying to manipulate Amber there to be, like, when she does find out about Lacey, it's like, see, though? Like, you and I are destined for each other. And it's not so much because he really is, you know, obsessed with Amber. I think it's just he likes the thrill of these side women and the lying and the disguising and he doesn't know who he is and he's constantly playing someone else and he just kind of fits into whatever situation he needs to fit into it's it's so weird freaking (laughs) the guy fucking scott peterson scott fucking peterson (laughs) so next week we're gonna go into um when Lacey is found and into the trial. Right. Um, so um, until then, you can find us on our Instagram, which is at Crimes and Cocktails. Yeah. And if you guys have any questions or any fun information or pictures or anything you want to send us, no dick pics, please. But if you want to send us anything, <laughs> send it to crimes.cocktails at gmail.com. 
we also want to say thank you to all of our listeners. We know we're just starting this, but we see that we have listeners in Germany, the UK, Italy, and of course the beloved US. So shout out to all you guys and all you faithful true crime drunkies out there. Yes, we love you. <laughs> okay, we'll see you guys next week, or you'll hear us next week. Yeah. <laughs> I hope we don't see you. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.